0: A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, welcome back to Walking with Freya. Before we get into this week's episode, which is an interview with my dear friend and midwife, Laura, um, I just wanted to go over a few business things. One is that the episode that I put out two weeks ago, episode seven, Take Them As They Come, is on the website and it's also on Stitcher and Google Play. But for some reason, iTunes says that it's temporarily unavailable. I've tried to fix this. I emailed some tech people, or maybe they were robots. I don't, I'm not really sure, but I don't understand how to make it work. So I apologize for that. So if you get this podcast on iTunes and weren't able to get that one, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tag it on to the end of this episode. And hopefully that will work. So if you've already heard it, just know that after you get through this episode, just turn it off or listen again. I think it's a good one. I mean, that's why I'm going to try and put it out there again for those of you listening on iTunes. Also, I want to say, so the next episode that comes out is May 1st, which is Beltane, May Day. And it is also the start of Prada Awareness Month. And those of you who have been listening know that that is my daughter's diagnosis, So for the month of May, I will be coming out every week instead of every two weeks. I have some great interviews with some Prader-Willi moms. And if your child doesn't have, if that's not your child's diagnosis, still, you should still listen, I think. I mean, you know, it's, it's universal, the issues that we talk about. Yeah, and then I also get to speak with the executive director for the Foundation for Prader willi Research, so I'm really excited about that. I haven't done that interview yet, but I'm sure it'll be very informative and interesting, and it's, who is, and it's with a woman who is also, uh, she's another mom, another mom of a child with special needs. So this week's episode, as I said, is with my, my friend Laura who has been a dear friend for many, many years. And she was also my midwife with Freya. So we don't talk so much about Freya's story though, because I've already told that part of the story. But we do talk about being a care provider in the situation of having a baby born with issues. And I think it's a really beautiful talk. We talk about the importance of having that time in the beginning free from the diagnosis if possible, if there's not pressing medical issues. She talks about why she thinks it's important to not have diagnoses thrown around at the beginning. We talk about how to process having a cesarean, which I know is not an issue for many women. It is an issue for plenty of other women, especially if it was unexpected. It can be kind of traumatic. So we talk about how you can process through that And of course, we talk about the wonderfulness and the need for midwives and midwifery care. And at the end, she gives some advice for other providers on dealing with this issue, on how to approach a family that has just given birth to a child that's having issues. So I think it's a very sweet, hopefully enlightening conversation. And I left our giggles in the beginning but we also get pretty serious. There's a few tears in this episode. They're brief. Just uh, they always seem to be on the surface when talking about this this subject. So, thank you again for being here, and I hope you enjoy. I hope okay. I'm prepared enough. <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm always like, I've done this so many times. It's fine. And I'm like, as soon as I hit record, I'm like, oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> if only that face could be what you put on there. <laughs> it should just be my logo it should um okay well thank you Laura for being here I am here speaking with a dear friend Laura who was my midwife with Freya and I've talked about her in the birth story um but first let's start off by talking you have a podcast that's getting ready to come out Thank
1: and you. Yeah, I you do. want to talk about that for a minute? I do. I have a podcast, uh, Ask Midwife 707, coming out, and it is stories of women uh, and their births and sharing all of that it was for them, and also sections that are focused for midwives in general, um, for, so it's for pregnancy and women that are going through that process, as well as midwives who are practicing or studying midwifery.
0: Nice. Yeah. And it is coming out May fifth. May fifth. Right? International Midwifery Day. That's right. Launching it out. So yeah. So May fifth, mark your calendars, look for Ask the Midwife.
1: Ask Midwife seven oh seven. Hopefully you'll find it on iTunes. That's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a webs you're gonna have a website too. And a website. And the website's Vital Roots, um, and if you Google Ask Midwife Seven Hundred Seven, that will li- link to that. Okay.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yay! Well, Thanks. I'm really excited about it. Thank you. So, but we're here today to talk about specifically because this is a podcast for parents and caregivers of special needs children. Yes. So you are the first uh, like provider that I'm getting to to talk to so and I know we've had these conversations Mm -hmm. before but I think it'll be nice to have these conversations Um, so you've been a midwife for 15 years now
1: Uh uh-huh 15 years
0: so what has been your experience have you had a lot of experience of babies being born that um, have had issues I guess it's probably like a whole gamut right there's medical issues that maybe don't go past the birth Experience. Yeah. Uh. yeah,
1: I know. I'm only taking care of babies up to six weeks postpartum most of the time. So there's certainly things that are just present from the get-go that are obvious and then there's that I'm a part of. And then there's things that brew and come up later on that I don't, that have a part in that I find out later. Um, but certainly I have had uh, a handful of situations where, There has been Down syndrome. I've had a couple times with uh, Down syndrome babies that were born. Both were unexpected. And uh, of course, your daughter with Prader-Willies. There was another doctor, I mean, another baby that had a really rare chromosomal disorder that maybe you'll actually be interviewing her, hopefully. She's a local woman. Um, So yeah, so things that were right out the gate, the Down syndrome was more obvious. Um, things going on but then other ones that you just don't know what it is but you know something is a little off Uh so I
0: have I have seen that so how is that like how quickly after they're born do you notice Things like that. I mean, I know, like, with Down syndrome, isn't, isn't there, like, the number of lines on the feet or something like that? Is yeah, that...
1: The, yeah, there is all those markers, but it's not always present. There's so often you're not seeing all of those presentations. It's just you'll have a, one of the five things or uh-huh. two of the five things. Um, so it is one of those situations where I'm not a doctor, so I'm not diagnosing these babies, So it's a funny time period for me to be helping women um, be in that situation and help them, you know, get to where they need to be to help these babies. But, you know, I think most interestingly enough and how it went down uh, several times for me is years ago when I was studying midwifery, there was a story that I heard about a local doctor who... who had had, there was, there had been a baby that was born with Down syndrome and he chose not to tell the family. And so my midwife partner, Deanna told me this story at the time. And she said that she was sitting there at the birth going, are you kidding me? This is obvious. You know, why isn't he telling them? And so she was there, you know, at this family's side not saying anything because the pediatrician's not saying anything, mm-hmm. but having a hard time, like, what do you do with that as a provider? And and so she did talk to him and ask him, like, what do you think? I'm seeing these things. Are you seeing these things? And he said, I do see them, but the baby's eating. The baby's fine. The heart sounds good. I'm going to let these people fall in love with their baby first. I know. It makes me <laughs> want to cry, too. And I'll never forget that story because I thought it was so beautiful. And um, so I've always taken that in those situations of like, if baby's eating, that it it usually comes up where the baby's having a hard time eating, you know, when there's a, a problem. So then it's another can of worms. But you even have a couple days before that happens. You know, babies can be trying to figure it out. It's normal for everybody to struggle with nursing in the first few days, and that's normal. So if every if if all that is within a boundary of safety for them and for the baby, then it's better to let, in my opinion, how I've done it, it's better to let these families fall in love with their baby and let them just have that sacred time that's uninterrupted from that experience and that imprinting of your initial bonding. Cause it's so crucial.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I mean, how many times have we had this conversation? I've heard that story and still <laughs> it's just like, it gets me every time. It fat. makes me
1: cry too. It really does. It's, um, I mean, on the podcast that I'm doing, I, you know, I just interviewed a mom that was one of the down syndrome births that I was at and she so appreciated that. And, um, and so when I took that with, with the, when it happened to me, and I took that course of letting this baby, um, and these parents just fall in love with their baby, l- that family was good friends with midwives in the community. So on the back end, I it was a lot of dialogue amongst the care providers of like, why are you doing that? What are you thinking? How is it? You know, like it was a lot, and um, and I was just going by my intuition and that one story I heard, and that it was okay. And I did consult the pediatricians right away and, you know, and say, I think it's fine. Is that okay? And they agreed it's fine. So it wasn't like I was winging it, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it's a a different philosophy. You know, some people maybe wouldn't do that. They would tell them right away. And I just think that that's not really fair, Mm -hmm. you know, give people the time to just have a minute.
0: Yeah. Because once you get the diagnosis, it's so overwhelming.
1: It's overwhelming. And postpartum is so Ugh. intense as it is. It's like, then you throw that in there and the grief and the, you know, you have this whole other set of things when you're postpartum and just so raw. I mean, it's really rough,
0: super rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I love that. And I love that philosophy. And I love, um, some of the lines, uh, some of the, some of the things that, um, which I don't want to give it away. You have to listen to the podcast, but it sounds like it's going to be such a powerful Oof. interview. Yeah. Um, it's a good cause one. Because some of the things that she, you've told me that she said are just, are so beautiful and so powerful. Um, but I can't help think my, about my experience and how there, for me, there was an elef- an elephant, an elephant. There was an elephant in the room. Actually, there was. There was an element of, somebody's not telling me something. Like, this is not going right. I had had a healthy baby. I knew what a healthy baby was supposed to look like. And Freya was not meeting most of that criteria. So, I mean, I'm I'm not even sure that anybody really knew, but... So I'm torn because I think I definitely don't think I would have wanted a Prader-Willi diagnosis Mm -hmm. in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but I needed some, I just, you know, I was so confused. So I just wonder, I mean, it's got to be a really tricky place to be in because maybe there are people that do feel like they need to know right away or, you know, I guess you do have to trust your intuition.
1: I know. And it's risky. You know, I was hoping that that was going to work for this family. For both of the, for all the families that I've had to be in that situation, I'm only crossing my fingers that my instincts are right. And you know, sometimes, and and luckily it has been. Every, all of those families have been like, "Thank God, I had a couple days." Yeah, you know, it really worked for them. I think maybe in the moment, if there was that personality type of somebody who was needing more, it's more obvious, and you would give them more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but I think that. Isn't it amazing how you just... It's the power of denial when something is wrong and you know it, but you don't want to know it yet. And, you you know, Alder talks about that in her story uh-huh. on the podcast that I'm speaking about. And how long before she got a diagnosis? We told her on day five, after really working on the breastfeeding and the baby was having a really hard time nursing in this situation... Um, The other situation, the baby was nursing well and doing well, but we still, it was about day five, I think, on that one, too, somewhere in there, giving him a few days.
0: So that's a very different scale than what I'm thinking of, because I had three and a half months. Yeah. So I think maybe that is a difference. Yeah. When chromosomal things,
1: it's totally different, I think. I mean, I don't have a lot of enough experience to really. I'm not a specialist by any means, (laughs) but, um, but you're special, but I, the chromosomal (laughs) ones that I have been a part of, it's just harder to know. Down Mm -hmm. syndrome has these obvious characteristics so that you really could go there quicker. I
0: would say, yeah, give everybody should have those, those five days. Yeah. You know, I guess when it's going into months and you're saying what is wrong, like, why is this not working? What is wrong here? That's right. And those are hard, I mean, what a
1: frustrating and scary time, Mm -hmm. you know, to feel like there's something wrong and you don't know what it is. Yeah. And, but I just, the chromosomal disorders, it's so vast. Right. There's so
0: many possibilities. Mm hmm Well, I even had, and I mentioned this, I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, the specialist that we saw, the geneticist we saw in San Francisco was kind of a Prader-Willi specialist. And she met Freya and was like, oh, she doesn't really have the look. And she doesn't, she didn't have a feeding tube, so we're going to test her just because of the hypotonia, but I don't think that's it. hmm Isn't that And amazing? then that was it. Wow. So I kind of want to say, don't say things like that. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, so the provider that you're talking about, the pediatrician, is was my pediatrician. Yes. And I think that he knew long before we did, or he r- highly suspected before we did, that yeah. Freya had Prader-Willi. Um, <clears throat> cause that was the first thing that he suggested uh-huh. and, uh, yeah, I trust his judgment. I, I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know,
1: I, so much matters in the, in the early, uh, weeks and months is, is that baby eating?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's all that everyone cares about. Is this baby eating and pooping? Cause we're going to figure it out. But as long as this baby is getting what it needs, yeah you know that's the most important thing, and then you're gonna to have to just then go down those rabbit holes of figuring it out mm-hmm. um and then you know with with such a situation, it affects breastfeeding and breast milk production, stress, and emo- strong emotions is hard on the breast milk supply yeah and um so you get so many factors that start to come in, you know, and then people that have to pump like constantly and that's such an intense job and at the same time you know just all of these things that aren't showing up of how you expected it to be is so grief ridden from my from what I'm witnessing in that way like it's so hard Mm -hmm. it's hard enough and then you have those kinds of things that you're dealing with and you're trying to do your best and give this baby breast milk and you know it's just it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. women
0: need a lot of support in those times Yeah. So I think one of the, I think of it as kind of a a saving grace that we, that Freya wasn't born in a big hospital with a big NICU and all of these, you know, these things that I, because I know that a lot of um, Prada Willie kids get taken to the NICU, they get a feeding tube. They're there for a while, and I just wonder sometimes if that would have been Freya. And even though it was really terrifying those first few weeks, I'm Mm -hmm. really grateful that I got to be at home with her. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I'm just wondering if you think there is an element of that that, you know, like you're saying, if they're eating well, you know, and they're pooping and it's going well, like, we should maybe leave it alone. And do you think that it's easy sometimes to get caught up in the medical side of it, and we forget about that connection.
1: I think that I don't know enough to answer that entirely, but I do know that, you know, at UCSF and those kinds of places, they are doing a really good job at knowing what's important, knowing about keeping moms with their babies and knowing how important skin-to-skin is. And so I think it would have to take a pretty significant problem for them to take babies away from the moms. You know, I could see them doing blood work or things that are really more that you would hate to watch your baby go through. I could certainly see that kind of thing. I don't know if what I'm saying is true, but I, I, you know, I've seen enough stuff with UCSF that they are very conscientious of that, like paying attention to that research of babies do well when they're with their moms. Mm -hmm. So I think... That you're always at risk with anything that's wrong. Of how could that go? Are they going to take the baby? And the whole bonding time is a whole different story. And I think that every place is so different. You know, the situations that I'm dealing with are home births. So here, these families have been with their babies at home, and actually, one of them was in the hospital, and um, and you were in the hospital in the end
0: mm-hmm.
1: for your birth, and so they don't. They weren't. They weren't quick to take her away. You know, I really think it has to be something pretty severe mm-hmm. for them to do that. But I do think that the interruption on some levels would probably be happening if if you were somewhere where they were already onto it and felt like they needed to do something. Sure, those places are out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I like to think that we're evolving with the mama-baby reality to some degree, that they're not taking away babies unless it's so needed. Mm-hmm.
0: So have you had any experiences where? I mean, I guess if people know in pregnancy that that the baby is going to potentially have issues, they probably don't tend to have home births. They don't. Yeah, you just never know
1: what needs a baby's going to have. So the the situations that I have been a part of, of course, they didn't realize that that was going to be the outcome. It was unexpected. And because of that, you know, they were given even more. They feel so good about it because they did have such a home, sacred time experience versus those fears that you're talking about. Would they have taken her? Would have, you know, the whole thing, that birth would have been different. And, mm-hmm. you know, so a lot of people that I've had that experience with are so grateful for that piece of it. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise babies should be in case they need help. and Right. And then there are situations that... Um, that we can consult with UCSF and they know that it's not going to affect the birth and move forward. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, yeah, different situations, but
0: yeah. Where there's maybe like a medical issue with the baby? Yeah,
1: or? like I had a baby that had kidneys, uh, you know an issue with the kidneys and the follow-up wasn't going to be immediate you know, so we got the approval that this is okay for, mm-hmm.
0: you know, this out of hospital setting isn't going to affect the baby. How is was that pregnancy for the mom? I mean, it, I just wonder, I, I'm really hoping to speak to somebody that has had the experience of, you know, having a pregnancy and giving birth knowing well in advance that yeah, there's going to be some kind of issues.
1: I mean, yeah, I, it would be interesting to hear how that is. I think that it's such a blessing when you don't know, because I just feel like it's so nice not to have stress. Mm -hmm. You know, baby is growing and stress is there's just so much science behind that uh, of the what we're creating, what we're passing on and how they're getting hardwired for that. So it's a gift to not know because you're at least getting your baby all hardwired in less stress than if you were going to be worried about that the whole time and what's to come. And that's scary stuff. Mm -hmm. The unknown is scary. When it's in front of you and you're doing one step and you're learning, you know, even, and I'm sure as you can, I don't know, cause I'm not living that experience, but I'm sure there's a lot of scary times where you're like, is this going to be okay? Or how is this going to grow and mm-hmm. evolve? And what aspects are going to, you know, affect this, you know, child's life when they're older and. So I just think all of those things that you would just really spin your wheels on and have your hormones gripping the claws into that whole thought process right. would be brutal, <laughs> God, for everybody. So the unknown is kind of cool like
0: that. Yeah, yeah well, when, when we got pregnant with Rona and they asked us if we wanted to do genetic testing, you know, we were kind of, I and mean, we said no. Like, why? We're not going to do anything different. Yeah, and uh, why? Why do we need to know? Because yeah, then we're just. I mean, thankfully, like Prader Willie syndrome is not at least the kind that Freya has is is a totally random event, so there was yeah. less than one percent chance that Rona would have had it. So yeah, um, and that is
1: the question: is what would you do with the information?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Would you spin your wheels on it and research and make yourself crazy of what's about to happen? because lord knows that on the internet all that pe- the people are writing are the ones that are really having a hard time. Right. The people that are doing great aren't aren't spinning their wheels on the internet so much. They're living their lives and feeling pretty good. So there's it's always important to remember that, you know, when you're reading the blogs and all those things, you know, it's the per- those things are perfect for certain things, but then it's you got to be really careful for yourself, for your mental health to not spin too much on those things and know that There's a lot of good things happening in every scenario that people just aren't spending time writing about.
0: Yeah, I remember when uh, because Freya was breech. We thought we were pretty sure she was breech. Remember she had that? Yeah, like it was hard to tell exactly. But and and all the and all the research I had done about you know getting a breech baby to turn. um, I had read you know like three to four percent of breech babies um our breech because of a congenital malformation. And I remember reading that and it was just kind of very, you know, very just tuck that away. Like, okay, that I read that. Now I'm gonna put that somewhere. Yeah. In a drawer. I'm gonna close the drawer and just forget about that. Yeah. I didn't hear it. That's <laughs> so, which is great.
1: Because you gotta tuck it in. Yeah. All those things. <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> well, so I think that um you know, probably, there are probably a lot of women who had babies with special needs that end up having cesareans unprepared. Agreed. Um, so do you have any kind of, do have you worked with women that had a really hard time accepting that they had a cesarean when they weren't planning one? Um, Absolutely. Do you have some like, uh, advice for that or some? Yeah. Webinar?
1: Well, I think when it comes to, And when it comes to having to do something that you didn't want to do, and a cesarean is a big one for a lot of women, they do not want to do that. So I do always think it's important to talk about it prenatally, like, what if that happens? So preparing yourselves ahead of time to at least entertain it. Some people don't want to think about it or talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I like to talk about it and be like, this is what it would look like. This is what happens you know, and, and trying to paint the picture to prepare people, even if that's in, and and you could see the, when people really resist it and then there's other people are like, yes, if I had to do that, okay. You know? Um, and I think that when it happens, it's just important to remember that your birth story is partially yours, but it's also your baby's. Hmm. It's their birth story. We love to make it about us. (laughs) (laughs) And there's an aspect of that that's so real and true. But it's their birth story, too. And it's Mm -hmm. going to be part of their tapestry of who they are and how they came in the world. And birth is sacred no matter where or when or how. Mm -hmm. And so just remembering that and knowing, I think that it's the hardest part with cesareans is when things happen to you that you didn't want to happen. So some women will have cesareans when they really feel like it was unnecessary, where they really feel like they could have done this, this, and this. And it would have been different and chewing on that is really hard if you if it has to be done where the position of the baby you don't have a choice you just have to soldier it and put one foot in front of the other and that's really hard and painful and it's going to take a lot of processing but i have seen that it's less painful or i don't know if that's fair to say i shouldn't say that it's more it's a different experience for women who had to do that because they can rationalize why Mm -hmm. I needed to do that. I needed to do that because my baby would have died if I didn't do that. Or, you know, I would have died if I didn't do that. And it wasn't like you were questioning any of it. It was really clear in the moment of like, okay, I have to have this cesarean. So I'm going to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, it's certainly, there's a lot of processing to happen around that, but it's also better than it happening to you. And you didn't have any power in that or choice in that or feel good about Why? You could really spin your wheels when it's not feeling like you sh- needed to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and other scenarios where it's obvious it needed to happen is a gift Yeah, in the process.
0: I remember at my prenatal when you guys asked me what, what I was most afraid of and I just started crying and I said a cesarean, mm-hmm. which was so... I don't know why I... I don't know. Now I'm like, why was that right at the front of my mind and why did I start crying about it? It was such yeah. like a an immediate reaction and then um when I was in there and they said okay you know the baby the baby needs to come out uh and I kind of went into this like okay let's do this and it wasn't until about I was home so it was like five or six days later when I my mind started spinning wait did I should I have done that especially because she was so lethargic and
1: I remember that
0: and you having to show up, like, it was perfect timing because you were coming over for a prenatal visit. I think there were friends. A postpartum my, visit. A postpartum visit. Mm-hmm. And everybody just, like, had left. I had friends over or something. They were in town. And I just remember it was like I had, like, a brief quiet moment. And I started thinking, oh, my God, like, did I? Is this because I gave in? Like, did I let them do something that didn't need to be done? Yeah. And I just started crying, and then, like, you walked in, and you were like, hi, oh, okay, go out there, and we'll be out in a minute, you know, and then you just, like, closed the door, and you came and sat down, and you we were so clear about that, that you, you said, this birth is a, this is an example of why we need cesareans, mm-hmm. this is, this needed to happen, Freya might not have been able to get out on her own, she wouldn't have been able to help, and You know, it was just, you were so clear about it and just kind of stopped that spinning. And it was, I love, I'm so grateful for the timing of it.
1: Nice. Um, Yeah. You know, it speaks to midwifery care. You know, it really does. I feel like um, those in-home postpartum visits are just (laughs) priceless. You know, there's so much going on in the first couple weeks. And the fact that your midwife comes to your house and sits in your bed and three times in the first week, and then however more often in two weeks. And, you know, that in-house processing and going through all that stuff, Mm -hmm. especially in hard scenarios, you know, is just priceless.
0: It really is. Yeah.
1: And I almost, I've been telling, you know, in some scenarios, like feeling like, you know, I'm doing with this podcast, Ask Midwife 707. So I'm getting questions from out of the area or people who can't do midwifery care or didn't realize or, you know, different things. Um, But there's midwives out there. Most communities have them. You know, even if your birth can't be a home birth, meet with a midwife and talk to her about what you're going through, a home birth midwife. It's a different different niche, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know, and have that postpartum support, when you get home from the hospital have a couple visits that's the beauty of the postpartum doulas you know having that kind of they're there for you to see how see you through that and I think that that could be really helpful even if you didn't plan that and but all of a sudden you're home with an unexpected outcome with this baby that is harder than you imagined call someone in that's a postpartum doula or a midwife that you could hear of in the community that you know could come in and speak to all the things that you're feeling Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a therapist, the birth yes. therapist.
0: <laughs> well, and I, and it's, I think, uh, like you say, coming into your home, you know, you're way more comfortable. I mean, because we were going to the pediatrician every week, but then it's like, we're you know, we're showering, we're getting the baby dressed. Like now it's like this, this thing that we're doing. And it's almost like you're, you're leaving some of this stuff at home and you're yeah. just talking about, okay, we're just going to talk about the weight yep. issue or whatever. Um, so you don't you kind of hide that vulnerability, sure, a bit agreed. And so I think it's it's beautiful. I mean, i I don't know i I wouldn't have gotten through that if you guys weren't coming,
1: yeah, I, it's so crazy to me that so many women are being left without Ugh. that care. I mean, I just it really it makes breaks my heart um. I love that midwifery is growing, you know, at a rapid pace in this country because women do need to be held. That postpartum time is so important and so raw, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, when something is off and something isn't right, it's, you know, a hundredfold because you're just so raw. You're raw when everything's totally fine. So you throw some worry and some grief and, all kinds of stuff in there to that rawness. And it is just really tough. And people don't know how to handle that in the world. Our we don't our friends don't know what to say. The world doesn't, the culture doesn't know what to say, doesn't mm-hmm. know how to hold things that are different, mm-hmm. not fit in the, the mold. It's not a natural thing in our culture to deal with that stuff, it feels like.
0: Yeah. And I think for a lot of people I know, me included, it's you don't, you don't know how to ask for help. You don't even know what it is that you need. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite memories of that time is, um, I don't know, it was in the first week and I was up sweeping my kitchen and I had like my, I had my seven year old, you know, Haven had the dustpan. Like that's, I was like, I'm not, I'm not bending over. I'm just sweeping. And I, all of a sudden, I hear this knock, and I look at the front door, and there's your face in my <laughs> window, and you're just pointing at me, and you're saying, You're busted. <laughs> Get
1: your ass in bed, mama. <laughs> it's and that, true. Just,
0: that cracked me up. <laughs>
1: I know. It's hard to keep us down, but it's so important. Our pelvic floor needs it. Not just you and your mental health, and your family needs to realize how sacred and how much you need to heal. Uh, we have such a do it. Mentality as women and moms no one's gonna do it right, right? No, they're not gonna sweep that floor right. (laughs) I'm gonna look at that thing in the corner that they missed. You know, we just gotta like loosen up when we let other people do it. But you know, trying to get that downtime is so important.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Busted, (laughs) you're busted. Um, Oh, well. Maybe, I don't know if you want to speak to like any potential providers out there or yeah, uh, maybe absolutely. That would be a good... that's a great, great thing. I'm, I'm going
1: through that a lot right now, actually, of as a provider, it's so important to give bites that people can chew. Like you don't want to throw diagnoses that could be. Why would you do that? in a postpartum time to a postpartum woman. People do that. I want to just smack them upside the head. It's like we have to just take what we could chew. And knowing that postpartum time and how rough it is, it's important to get every little bit of information, just a little bit at a time, is important. Like, okay, something is a little off. But this and this and this is great. So we're going to figure it out. Okay, even if we know in the back of our head what it is, We're not saying that we're waiting. We're waiting for test results. We're going to just keep allowing people to be in love with their baby as long as possible. And it's not like you're not going to fall out of love, but it's interrupting that initial hardwiring and bonding that is so important. And to, um, give this baby the time to feel like it deserves to be here Mm. no matter what's going on, they deserve it. So when the, when you could be held in the in that love and not instantly into a judgment of something is wrong, mm-hmm. it's a gift for everybody, for that baby too to feel it because baby's feeling it too, and um, and so I think that's really important and I think that as a provider, to give people time, give them time, do what's necessary, and otherwise give them time. That's what that Dr. Humphrey did because he, he was so experienced. Mm-hmm. And he had seen a lot. He was an old guy. he's an old guy. <laughs> he retired old and um, and hopefully you're gonna have him on here, which would be awesome. yeah, and he has just so much experience, and so it's 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 that it's that inexperience that makes people wanna think they need to show that they know something, maybe mm-hmm. or they're worried that they're gonna get in trouble for not doing something more active to save the day or something but um so you want to consult with those people um, for me it was like consulting with the right pediatrician if i was told something different i would have called a different one i would have gotten a couple opinions about it before ruin before kind of you know sending these parents into a different spiral mm-hmm. other than you know keeping that bubble sacred as long as we could
0: Okay, so I'm coming in with a little friendly reminder of how you can find more about the podcast. I have a page on my website, a n n e f r i c k e A-N-N-E-F-R-I-C-K-E.com, and that page talks about what this podcast is about. And then there's also a page linked to that, which has the episodes, which if you're listening to this episode via the website, you already know that. Also I do have an Instagram account walking with Freya and I post on there fairly regularly, not really that regularly, but I do post a few things about like a new therapy that we've started. And also the Facebook group Walking with Freya is a place for parents and caregivers to come and meet up and share stories, share experiences, whatever however you want to use the space. And if you would like to get in touch with me to share your story, which I would absolutely love to hear. I had originally said that I was I was asking people to write their stories down and send them to me, but I realized that that's, that it can be difficult for some people, so I am now also open to doing some recorded interviews over the phone, over the internet. So if you would like to do that, my email is walkingwithfreya at gmail.com, so you can get in touch with me that way. And also, leaving a review on the podcast app that you use does wonders for for this show and for getting it out there. And that's what I know what all the podcasters are saying is leave a review. And we say that because that's really part of this whole thing of of being successful and getting our podcast out there to more people is the more reviews we have the higher up it goes on whatever list. And more people can see it so yeah if you want to take the time to do that I would be very grateful and I hope that you enjoyed this episode and again if you missed last week's episode because you listened on iTunes it will be coming up shortly after this so thanks for being here A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, thanks for being here. So I thought to go back again to the beginning with Freya course, there are issues that are coming up for us right now, new therapies, IEPs, and such, but um, if something is really pressing, then I will address it, like I did with the last episode on siblings, but I would also like to revisit some of the struggles that we had in the beginning as a way of providing the whole story, so, and also because even though we are past some of these struggles, and of course on to new ones, um, so many people are now coming up on similar issues, so I'll retell some of the old struggles throughout this space as a way to not only give a further, a fuller telling of our story, but also so that others can relate or hopefully find comfort in knowing that they are not alone. And I would love to hear your stories as well, but we'll get to that in the end. So for now, I'm going to go back to kind of the time after the diagnosis. And I'm going to start by reading a blog post from my blog, growing up with pws.blogspot.com. This post is from March of 2012. My life these days is centered around pumping and feeding. If I'm not pumping or feeding, I'm cleaning pump parts or counting time until Freya's next feeding and homeschooling our seven-year-old daughter. In some ways, it may seem pleasant to have a baby that doesn't cry or fuss. Well, I guess I would say it's the consolation prize. My baby doesn't cry and fuss and cause a huge distraction. She doesn't wake up every 15 minutes to squirm and cry for milk. My first one was a bit more like that, so I know how difficult that can be. But there was a lot of pressure on a parent whose baby does not eat of her own free will. I set the alarm at night so I can wake up and feed her, The plus side is that I am assured sleep in four-hour doses. The downside is that occasionally, when I have forgotten to turn the alarm on or turned it off in my sleep, I wake up frantic because it has been six hours since she has eaten. I jolt awake to find Freya sleeping peacefully by my side. I rush to get a bottle prepared and warmed as I berate myself for being irresponsible. But I am human." And while a normal four-month-old, that's a quote, when while a quote normal four-month-old can, if only we were all so lucky, sleep for six-hour stretches without eating, it's yet another obstacle to the growth of my already small baby. Thankfully, these moments are few and far between, but racked with guilt nonetheless. There are times when Freya seems to be hungry and enjoying her bottle, when she sucks it down in twenty minutes. These moments are a blessing. There are times when she is too sleepy and getting her to eat is almost impossible. Sometimes the milk backs up in her throat without notice and she coughs and chokes and can't breathe. Those moments are, of course, terrifying. Sometimes I struggle to get the last of her bottle into her only to have her spit it back up. My life is ruled by Freya's feeding schedule, which, unfortunately, she couldn't care less about. But it's what parents do. We alter our lives for those of our children. We make sacrifices so that they may have the things they need. Our children's needs may seem unbearable at times, the crying, the whining, the struggle to feed. But for every moment when we feel as if we can't continue with this path, can't keep up with these struggles, there are countless other moments when our lives are so enriched by these little people we can't, nor care to, remember what life was like without them. So, while my time is not my own these days, I look with joy on this being that has entered our lives. We are trying to prepare ourselves for the struggles we will face with her, but all the while revel in the joy and happiness she has and will continue to bring. So, that last part, maybe some of you have noticed already my tendency to try and wrap things up on a more positive note, which I think is good to be positive. As long as you're not glossing over things that need to be addressed, I guess. So I realize, um, you know, going back and and reading this, I feel as if I'm complaining about sitting around in a bathrobe for months, watching Netflix and eating ice cream. It's not something to really bitch about, except that I personally am not one that likes to sit around watching TV at depresses me so that really probably didn't help my overall feelings but I had I my my best friend had bought me this big comfy bathrobe and I pretty much lived in that on the couch watching Netflix as I would pump and then feed and then wash the parts and I would have a moment to like shower or do a little something with my older daughter but it was mostly that's what I remember as a, a lot of uh couch time with Netflix, and that was kind of depressing. But it's not so much about that. What it's really about is just how much effort it took to keep my baby growing. The struggle of trying to get her to a place where they would consider her thriving, because at this point, she was still pretty lethargic and had the actual diagnosis of, quote, failure to thrive. Not a uh, not a fun diagnosis with a baby, not a comforting one. So it wasn't just a relaxing break of Netflix and couch time. It was constant vigilance. It was frustration and desperation trying to keep her awake long enough just to get the milk down. It was disappointment and fear watching my milk supply dwindle almost by the day because let's face it, there's no connection. To a breast pump like there is to your baby and no matter how much you want the milk to come out and how much you need the milk to come out the breast pump just does not stimulate the flow the same way perhaps if I could have gotten afraid of nurse once or twice a day it would have been different but for me my body was not fooled and at about seven months my supply dropped off so much that it was almost pointless to continue by then, Freya was getting mostly formula anyway, which was a whole other huge disappointment for me, but also a really crucial element to her nutrition and her survival. I will say as a side note, I had another baby who was born when Freya was 16 and a half months, and I started pumping again. And so there were a few months before she was two, that Freya got to have, uh, Freya got to have some more breast milk, which was huge for me. That's, that was a really important and wonderful blessing that I could give her. I was really grateful to have that. But this time, my, my couch, Netflix couch time, that was a time of serious stress when everything revolved around the need to feed my baby. And through it all, there were weekly doctor's weekly doctor appointments to see how little weight she had gained and to discuss the other options of fattening her up. We had trips to UCSF, which was five hours away, for appointments with specialists and sleep studies, and that's a whole other series of episodes just trying to deal with the bureaucracy of getting her on growth hormone, which we knew was so important. Another thing you know, through all this, is that we were being social with our some of our dearest friends, who all had had healthy babies, the same age as Freya. Three of my closest friends found out they were pregnant around the same time, and somehow the universe threw me into the mix. Also, they were all trying; I wasn't. But um, so we all we were all pregnant together. And we had, we all had daughters within five months. There's a period of five months and they were all born there. And it's something that should have been so wonderful and beautiful for all of us. And it was, it was in a lot of ways. Even, but even thinking back to that time, um, I realized how hard that was. How do you reconcile the utter chaos of emotions in that situation? To smile as they told me of their baby's accomplishments. Smile even though everything their baby did, the mind couldn't do, was just like opening a just ripping open a festering wound. I wanted to be happy for them. And of course I was on some level, but every everything was also a reminder and an alarm bell for me and my baby and what what she could and she couldn't do (sighs) and then there's the the guilt of you know what kind of person can't just be happy that their friend's baby is doing well it's not like I wished anything bad to happen to their babies but it was just so hard sometimes to be reminded of, of what, you know, it was, it was almost easier. I'm a very social person, but I think perhaps, um, you know, I've, I've become less social than I would. I'm still pretty social, but you know, I've become less social than I was. And I definitely think that perhaps this period of time drew me in a little bit because, When we were at home and it was just our family and our baby, it was, it was just easier. It was, there weren't so many obvious or glaring signs of, of the issues that she was having. I mean, there were, but there wasn't this like, what's the, you know, there wasn't an example of, of where she should be or what she should be doing. I think I probably pulled back a little bit. I had, so, I had so many conflicting emotions during that time. And it's not that I wasn't happy for my friends, but the grief that I felt for myself, for my family, for my baby, weighed far too heavily on me sometimes to really appreciate their joy. I remember being at the beach one day, there were three of us there. And the two girls um, ran off to, (sighs) ran off to go play. Or I mean, I don't think they ran off because they were just a couple years old. But Freya wasn't walking by then. And, you know, they were wandering around and the moms were you know, walking with them, they had to be with them. And you know, I wanted to hang out, I wanted to be social, I wanted to talk, but I was on the blanket where my two, because I had, um, Rona at the time also, by then, I had Rona by then. And I just, I remember just feeling, just going home and feeling so sad and so, um, not left out. I didn't feel left out because it's, there was nothing intentional about it. I mean, you know, there's there were no bad feelings between anyone. It was just what kids could do. And you know, at that age, you can't just let them wander around so much. And I remember coming home and my husband was out of town and it was just, I, I just remember coming home and feeling sad and sitting on the front porch. I cracked a beer. It was Sunday afternoon. (laughs) And I got on Facebook and I emailed my cousin's wife, whom I had only met once, but they have a daughter with ITIC-15, which is a rare form of autism. And, (laughs) you know, you can say what you want about Facebook, but it really has its benefits. I mean, you know, messaging back and forth with this woman that I've only met once was so important to get me through that day. You know, it's a, it's amazing how sometimes, sometimes the people that you barely know can bring you the most comfort. And it's because we have shared experiences, you know, I mean, it happens for not just for this scenario of having a child with special needs, I mean, it happens in so many other scenarios. And this was just something that, this was one of those moments that I realized this is why I feel like parents of children with special needs tend to be drawn towards each other. I almost uh, feel more comfortable now approaching a parent of a child with special needs and striking up a conversation. I guess maybe because there's more to talk about or you know or just there's this shared the shared grief and the shared understanding of the struggle and the shared acceptance. And also, Someone who can really, someone who understands the struggle, the struggles, you know, how hard things can be, can really also appreciate how amazing it is when your child does something new. This is very tangential. (laughs) This is, I was just supposed to be talking about feeding the stress of feeding my baby, but I just brought up this, it was that same time when this is a time that I don't really think about too much anymore. It just, it just came up for, you know, for this, for this podcast. And as I said, going along, you know, trying to fill in the gaps of the story and I hadn't realized how painful that part of the story still is to be clear those children are still a part of our community and our family and i don't have those feelings anymore i don't have you know seeing them succeed and grow is just a beautiful thing to watch it doesn't it doesn't pull at my at my grief and my sorrow like it used to so I could talk more about that whole topic another time. Um but for now, I I mean I can say that I'm genuinely happy for their children without feeling a deficit with mine. So I guess the point the point I want to stress with this topic or the or with this episode well, the first was just about the difficulties with feeding. the 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 baby of my friends part was a I guess an unexpected tangent, and I think it'll make it through the editing <laughs> because I think it's important. I imagine it's something that a lot of people experience, and it relates to what I was originally trying to get across. It's just that when you have a child with special needs, there is a whole Slew of challenges lining up faster than <laughs> I don't know what I have. I have a friend from Alabama who always has a co- has a collection of descriptive metaphors, and uh, I'm sure he'd have one. One of my favorites that he says is "scareder than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs." That's one of my favorite ones, and I'm sure if he was here, he'd have one for. How how fast those challenges line up. But if I had known then, as I sat in my bathrobe struggling to get an ounce of milk into my lethargic baby. If I had known then that someday she'd eat like a champ. And then some. If I had known, as she struggled to hold her head up while the other babies were crawling circles around her, that one day she would attend a track meet. If I had known then, she would one day be in the same kindergarten class as one of those babies. In the class as an equal, as a peer, doing most of the same activities, with some variations, of course. She'll never be typically developing. If I had known any of this, I would have gone a bit easier on myself. I perhaps could have relaxed more into the joy of Freya the fear. And I don't mean to sound as if I was just a ball of nerves or that I couldn't relax or enjoy Freya. I mean, I enjoyed her immensely. She has always brought so much laughter and sweetness and smiles. Always. But so much of that for that period of time was just overshadowed at times with fear, with nervousness, with doubts of myself and how much I was doing to help her progress. I guess what I'm trying to say is go easy on yourself. Know that the struggles you face today will likely fade, sometimes of their own free will, Another other times after you've slaughtered all the enemy on the battlefield and fought the war. And when you do, when you get through that challenge, you take a breath and you enjoy the victory. Because <sighs> there will be another battle. <laughs> That's the reality. There will be another struggle. Another terrifying reality to keep you up at night. But life goes on. We get through this. And despite the struggles, there is so much beauty to this life and to your child. So if you can, enjoy them in this moment for who they are, for what they're capable of, for how they love and how you love them. That's That's really all we can do besides the therapies and doctor's appointments and the the new new round of uh, supplements and all that stuff, of course. But overall, because when I was able to step back from any kind of comparisons or any kind of charts and graphs and any of these things showing me what she was, quote unquote, supposed to be capable of. When I was able to step back from that, then I just had this amazing, sweet, lovely person that I have, that I have the honor to raise and help journey through this world. For that, I am eternally grateful.